Thank you for listening to this message from Lifehouse Church. Hey, listen, turn to somebody, give them a high five, tell them it's good to be in God's house this morning. And say it like you mean it, come on. Give them a good high five. I want to hear some cracking going on back there, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Hey, I was just thinking about um, some of the songs you were singing there, and thinking about the potter and the clay. I just got to give this quick word. God, God just kind of dropped something in my spirit. You know, if, if I, you know, if you're a cracked pot, how many cracked pots we got out there? All right. <laughs> if you're a cracked pot, God's got to do some work on you, right? And um, how God fixes cracked pots, I don't know if you know this about pottery, but the only way to fix that after it's been all put together is they got to grind it to powder, right? And then they add in the, the, the fluid and the water and the, the spirit, and then it begins to reform the clay. So uh, if you got a crack, don't be surprised if God's got to grind you down or maybe break you up just a little bit, right? But he will rebuild you, and you'll be whole and new. So that's just my mini sermon. That was for free. Um, I just wanted to get that out, but I was just really, that was going through my mind in that process. And that might be for somebody this morning as you're just listening, but and could be for somebody online. If you're online listening and you're a crackpot, I want you just to type that right inside the chat, okay? Um, just uh, let us know that. But if you've been listening to the news lately, um, and Deb, you alluded to it, uh, you know, with what's taking place in our country, and particularly uh, in Christian circles, there's been a lot of chat about Asbury University, right? How the move of God took place there, and it really began to spread into, into different places. And I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, you, Asbury University, uh, a student-led worship kind of started up spontaneously, and for 16 days straight, 24 hours a day, they worshiped God. And news got out about it, and about 50, they, they estimate, they don't even know, 50, 60,000 people poured into the university. Um, the, the university exploded. I think they, were, they think that college students traveled from like 200 different universities to come to Asbury to experience this worship gathering that was taking place. And it was spontaneous worship to God. And it just began to burn, and it just began to happen, and God began to move in, in students hearts and it began to spread and it's literally happened all across the country in different uh, universities and in different places and there's just been this non-stop um, move of God to praise God to give God glory that's why we come together by the way right we come that's why we call this a worship gathering a worship service we come together to worship God and we come to give glory to the king of kings and to the lord of lords and, and we just come to worship. Now, I know you can worship it every day, right? You should be. You should worship God every day. We, and we even set a day aside Sunday. That's why you're here today. We set aside one time a week to come together and to worship God. And, and we should do that. But there's a, God is looking for worshipers. He's looking for those who will come in and not just learn and hear about God, but worship God. John 4, 23 tells us, Father, um, Father is seeking such to worship him. He's looking for us to come and give praise and glory and adoration to his name. And, and I can tell you for a fact that you're glorifying something in your life, right? You're worshiping something, whether you realize it or not, whether it's God or not, we worship something. With your speech, with your actions, with your attitude, we worship something. We're putting something first. We're giving praise and adoration to something. You probably bragged about something to somebody about this week. I don't know what, right? Some of us guys, we get a brand new tool. I did that very thing this week. I got a new tool. I drug a couple guys in the garage like, look, you got to see this, right? 
kind of glorifying that tool a little bit, all right? You know, we do that kind of thing, and, and we do, but God wants us to glorify him. And one day, Jesus had a discussion. He actually came up to a well, and there was a woman at the well, and he had a discussion about this very thing called worship. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 7, and, and I'm going to pray, uh, and while you're getting there, and while you're turning, we'll give you opportunity to get there, but I'm going to pray over God's Word, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of background, because I think sometimes it's important to get a little background on what's going on and what's taking place before I jump in and just tell the story out of God's Word. So you ready to pray? Father, we come to you today just grateful and thankful for your Word. God, I thank you, Lord, that we can come into this house and worship you openly. God, we can worship you in public. We can worship you in private. God, wherever we're at, Lord, we can just come and lift up your name. So God, today, we lift up your name. Even as we get ready to hear the word, we worship you. As we sing, we worship you. And we give you glory this morning. And Lord, we just pray that this word would penetrate our hearts and our minds. And God, that it would speak to us. Uh, like it does through the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name I pray this. And everybody said together. Amen. 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 John chapter 4, verse 7. Now listen, Jesus is traveling um, with his disciples at this point in time. And he's actually going from Judea to Galilee. Now that's, he's, he's actually traveling in Israel from the southern part of Israel to the northern part at that time. So he's going from um, Judea to Galilee. And to get there, he's got to go through Samaria. He has to travel. It's about a 70-mile jaunt. That's about a two-and-a-half-day walk for some of us, okay? That's about a two. Some of you are like, that's a lot longer walk than that for me, right? It's about a two-and-a-half-day journey back then, you know, because they did a lot of walking by foot. And, and along the way, they would need water because when you're walking, you're expending fluids, right? You're sweating. You're doing all those things. Now, the average hiker, and I don't know if this is true or not. I looked it up. But they say they, consume, they can consume as much as 32 ounces of water. That's two pounds of water in two hours. So you got to think about going 70 miles. It, you know, they're stopping from well to well to well, right? They're looking for a well because they're walking, just like you do in the gas station, right? You travel to Florida, you go from gas station to gas station, you're getting your coffee, you're getting your peanuts, you know, whatever you're going to. Y'all have snack food in the car, right? Everybody's got a favorite snack food. Yep, peanut M and M's. Got the way to go. Okay, you go. You got snack food. You're going in the car, right? So you're going, and they had to stop along the way, going from traveling from Judea to Galilee, and they're going through Samaria, and they got to stop at the wells. They're getting water, and that's really what's taking place. Jesus sits down and the disciples by a well at about noontime. It's the middle of the day. It's in the heat of the day, and his disciples go into town to get food. He sends them for food, uh, to go buy food, and while he's there, he encounters a Samaritan woman who is drawing water from the well. Now, that's an unusual time for to be, in that time for them to be at a well because in the heat of the day is not the time to travel outside the city, get water, and carry it back because it's just brutal. But Jesus engages this woman, and, and you have to understand there's a couple things going on <clears throat> at this time. First of all, uh, Samaritans and Jews um, didn't get along real well. Uh, Samaritans were considered the lowest of low to the Jewish society of that day. They were a despised race um, to the Jews, and Jesus was Jewish, even though he wasn't prejudiced at all. Uh, that's why he talks with this woman. This woman's a female, and in that society at that time, uh, females were pretty much un uneducated. They were deemed um, kind of uh, really unfit to chat with about anything that was intellectual, and they were generally disregarded. Sorry, ladies. Um, I'm glad that's changed, right? 
So socially, um, it was dishonoring for Jesus to speak with this woman, this Samaritan woman at the well. Now, to add an extra layer to all that, this particular woman was a social outcast. That's why she was there at the middle of the day getting water. She had been married five times, divorced five times, and was now living with a man. In their society, she was an outcast. So it's, this is the scenario when Jesus comes to talk with this woman at a well. All right, John chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right. Jesus is getting her attention now. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you, uh, where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Because they were at Jacob's well, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus is talking about spiritual water, and she's thinking physical water, right? She's looking for magical water that she's never got to draw again that's going to spring up out of her. And she's like, okay, Jesus, tell me where this well is because I want to go there, right? I don't want to walk out here in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, and haul water back to the city. And she's thinking physical, and Jesus is thinking spiritual. He's talking about spiritual, and she's not getting it. So Jesus begins to change the conversation just a little bit. Verse 16, he says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said well, or have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one in whom you have now is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. She tries to change the subject, right? At this point, let's not talk about me. You know, uh, Jesus starts to talk about her. She starts to realize this is somebody like a prophet that I'm talking to. He's reading my mail. He knows exactly what's going on in my life, right? She's, and she is thinking, you know, uh, this guy, this guy let's, let's, she wants to change the subject. So she does. She figures, well, this guy's a prophet. Let's start talking religion. So 19 says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where we ought to worship. So she tar- starts to start a conversation about worship. And she says, well, I know, you know, for you Jews, you go to Jerusalem and worship. And she's a Samaritan, and they go to Mount Gerizim to worship. They didn't even agree on where they would go to worship. She starts this conversation, and it, you know, she's diverting from what's going on in her life, and she starts talking about worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, say true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
Now she's starting to get who might be in front of her. She's starting to understand. Then the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. She's starting to get who's standing in front of her, right? Who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came. And they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, why do you, uh, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the middle of the day, in a conversation with a despised Samaritan woman, Jesus reveals what true worship is. He, he begins this dialogue, and he starts to talk about what worship is and what worship isn't. It, it's not about a location, right? He said it doesn't matter if you're in Jerusalem or if you're at Mount uh, Gerizim. That, it, it didn't matter where you were going to worship. The location didn't, really wasn't that important. It, it, it doesn't matter if you engage in your Jewish tradition or if you engage in your Samaritan tradition. He, he didn't have an in-depth conversation uh, uh, about right, music styles. He, he, didn't have, he didn't say, do we raise our hands the whole way up or do we raise them out to here, right? Some of you are like this. Or do you just do this, right? Hold the loaf of bread. Hold the loaf of bread, right? Or, or do you worship with your hands down? You know, is, is it flags or no flags? Is, is it drums or no drums? Is it guitars or no? Is it an electric guitar or an acoustic guitar, right? Which, they didn't have, Jesus didn't start talking about all that kind of thing. He didn't have any kind of debate with that. He said the Father's just looking for worshipers, and the, the, the reality is he wants worshipers who worship in spirit and in what? Truth. Spirit and in truth. Two things that make worship of God genuine worship, and the Father's looking for this. Spirit worship, right? Spirit worship and, and, and worshiping in truth is what he said. And if we're going to fully understand worship, we've got to understand that these two things are the catalyst for worship, for authentic, true worship that the Father is looking for. Worship is this. Worship is a spontaneous response of praise and adoration to God by those who know the truth about God. Okay? Worship is a spontaneous response or, or uh, of praise and adoration to God by those who know the truth about God. My spirit responds in worship to God when my head and my spirit know the truth about God, right? Do you know the reason why there's so much worship taking place in heaven? Because they know the truth about God. Because God's right in front of them, right? He's right there on the throne. They physically can see him. They physically witness who he is. They, they don't get confused or, or wondering if God has great power. They see him display it on a regular basis. They don't, get, they don't, they don't stand around and say, I wonder if he exists, right? Because they're in the throne room of grace. They see him. And in response to who he is, they understand his power, they understand his wisdom, they understand his knowledge, they understand his provision, they understand all of that in heaven, so they worship. The Word of God says that, like 24-7, right? Just like at the University of Asbury, just worshiping. Revelation 7-9 says this, after these things, now this is John the Revelator, who, who is taken up to the heavens in his spirit, and he's seeing this, and he's writing down what he's seeing. And it says this, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, 
peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Now listen, we're coming up to Easter, right? Palm Sunday is right before Easter, and when what took place back then in Jerusalem, you know, back when Jesus was walking the earth, they would take palm branches and they would lay them in front of a king. All right, so that's the, that's the symbolic meaning of this. Palm branches in their hands, and they're crying with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around, and the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, Amen. Then one of the elders saying to me, who are these arrayed in the white robes and where did they come from? Now listen, John's seeing all this, right? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When we come to the knowledge and the revelation of who God really is, when we understand that in our heart and in our minds and in our soul and in our spirit, we will worship. We will worship. When we know the truth of who he is, when we understand what he has provided for us, the provision that he has made for us, when we understand how he's empowered us through the Holy Spirit, we will worship, we'll respond. When truth, right, when the truth of God is revealed in us, we spontaneously worship God. I won't have to pry you. I won't have to pump you. I won't have to say, raise your hands, jump up and down, right? Shout aloud. Or if you just like stand still, it doesn't matter how you worship, right? God knows your heart, but you'll, you'll respond. And it comes. The truth always demands a response. It really does. When we know the truth about something, it demands a response out of us of some kind, right? If I, if I believe, now, if I believe that, that it's good to eat donuts for breakfast, lunch, and supper, all right? I know. Yeah. All right. I got another. I got another believer. Two believers in the house, right? Two believers with me, right? If I believe that that's good for you, right? And I and I believe that. And then somebody comes along and tells me the truth, ruins my day. Tells me the truth. The donuts are not good for you to eat at breakfast, lunch, and supper, right? That truth demands a response. I got to respond. Now I can respond with completely ignoring your <laughs> your wisdom and your knowledge right, uh, uh, of, of my health, right, and, and that'll be to the detriment probably of my health and my waistline, both, right, I can ignore that, or I've got to respond because somebody gave me the truth. I got to, something's got to change because I now understand the truth that donuts are okay once in a while, but they're not good for you for breakfast, lunch, and supper, right, they're not nutritious enough, they're not, the truth demands a response, it demands a response. And the more truth you understand about God, I'm telling you, it's going to change how you see. You're going to begin to worship. You're going to be like, man, I can't believe it. This worship will begin to shift. When you find out he is a savior and that he has rescued you from your sin. And if you understand the full extent of what that really means, 
That, that not only are you rescued from sin here, but one day he's rescuing you from death, hell, and the grave. One day. It demands a response. You'll begin to worship, right? When you find out that he's the creator and that he speaks things into existence and he can speak things out of existence, you'll understand that in your heart and in your spirit and you begin to believe that. It'll demand a response. You'll begin to worship. When you realize he has the power to do anything that he needs to, when you realize that one day he's going to rule and reign on this earth, he's going to set up his rule and reign here, and he's going to reign, reign over all peoples, and one day he will abolish all evil, it will be gone. There'll be no, that's why it says there'll be no more tears. Every disease will be gone. Every issue you got in your body will be gone. Thank God, right? The older you are, the better, more you praise God about that. It's true, right? Come on. Oh, you're 20-somethings like, I don't even get it. All right? Wait till you get 50, all right? 60, 70. Yeah. You'll start praising God, right? You'll start worshiping. <laughs> Come on. When you convince, when you get convinced that the Holy Spirit resides within you and, and that God's power can work through you, when I come to faith, right, in the Holy Spirit who's alive and empowering me, when all these truths start to stack up into your heart about God, you're going to begin to worship. The music's going to come on. You're just going to be tapping your toe and let God so awesome, right? You're going to be singing in your car. You're going to raise your hands. You're going to be out in the woods looking at nature and saying, look what he created. Look what he created. Look how amazing this is. You're going to watch the sunrise come up, right? And you're going to watch God paint the sky just for a few minutes every single day, just for his pleasure. Right? And yours. Yeah, twice. In the morning and in the evening. And, and you'll watch it. You'll realize his majesty. How long does it take you to paint a picture that big? All right? You can't. He just does it in a moment. In a moment in time. And then it fades and then he brings the stars out that you can't even number. And, and the moon, right, who's reflecting the sun from the other side of the earth. And it blows your mind, right? The, the earth's tilted on an axis. Do you know if it moves a degree, we either cook or we freeze to death, right? He just keeps it right there for you. So you can survive. So you can exist. The more you know about God, the more you understand about God, you will worship. You will respond in worship, <laughs> it, it'll just pour out of you. It, spirit and in truth. Now listen, that's truth that sparks spontaneous worship. But your spirit, when my spirit realizes it's God in front of me, I will worship. When my spirit picks up that God's in whatever's in front of me, I will worship. There's an eternal part of you that is your spirit. All right, you're this flesh. Go ahead and pinch yourself. Do it right now. Pinch yourself. I'll you pinch yourself. Go ahead, because it's you. All right, just pinch yourself. That flesh you just pinched, that's going to go away someday. I, I hate to break it to you, but we all die. Okay, it's a hundred percent participation rate with death. It's going to take place. This flesh is going to die. My body's going to die off. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be by disease, old age, or uh, I don't know if I get a tool that blows up or I run out in front of a car. I don't know what's going to happen, right? I have no idea. It doesn't even matter. What's going to happen? But, what, but there's an eternal part of me. There's a spirit person inside of me. My spirit is who makes me up. Your spirit is who makes you up. And that's an eternal kind of thing. All right? And when your spirit starts to hear the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden your spirit begins to stir because that's God's spirit that you're hearing. 
And, and when you run into that, when you start smacking into that in, in your life, you're going to start worshiping God. It's true. It happens all through Scripture. Let me read you just a couple Old Testament things that took place, and it's all through the New Testament as well. But in Exodus 33, 7, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp. Now, back then, the children of Israel, they were nomads. They were all in tents, okay? They didn't have houses like you did. They all dwelt in tents, millions of people, and, and they're in tents, and then Moses is their leader. So Moses takes his tent outside the tent city, we'll call it that, right? And he pitches it outside the, the camp, far from the camp and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses, their leader, went into the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of a cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked to Moses or with Moses all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and what? Worship. Each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, this would be his protege who would later take over, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now, just to give you a little bit of an idea, all the people were standing outside their tent. And when Moses would go to the tent of meeting, which were he, where he would literally meet with God, a cloud would descend out of it. Now, let, listen, the children of Israel knew what that cloud was. They knew it was God because when they left Egypt. They were enslaved in Egypt. God brought them out by sending Moses, the leader. And the word of God says that a pillar led them, right? A pillar of fire led them by night and a cloud led them by day. So they knew when the cloud showed up, that was God, right? So there goes Moses. He goes and gets in a tent. That cloud comes down over the tent and they're like, right? Their spirit just begins to Listen, God showed up when they were going to, when their back was up against the Red Sea and the Egyptians were coming to take them back into slavery or kill them. God split the sea wide open, right? And it was that same pillar of fire. It was that same cloud that they followed. They walked across dry land. They're now on the other side. And come on, they, they ran smack into God. And they're seeing it, and they're standing in their tent doors. When Mo they're scared because <laughs> God's presence is so powerful. But Moses in the tent of meeting, when they see the cloud, they begin to worship. They worship. They begin to worship God. Joshua, the same thing. Five verse ten says this. Now, children, the Joshua five ten says. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal. And kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land uh, on that day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. When, then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce uh, of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food from the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass, now Joshua is, is, proceeds uh, or follows Moses. Moses has died. Joshua is the new leader of Israel. And when Joshua was by Jericho, Jericho is the first city that they are going to conquer in the promised land, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. They're getting ready to go into battle. They're getting ready. They're trying to figure out what God's doing in their life. And all of a sudden, Joshua sees this man out in front of him with a sword drawn, right? And Joshua went to him and said to him, um, are you for us or are you our adversaries? And he said, no, but as a commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. 
and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your feet, right off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy ground. He ran smack into uh, an angel of God, and he worshiped. Zach, I'm going to ask you to come and the praise band come. I'm going to give you one more because you need to hear one more. How many, you got enough time for one more? All right, three, that's all I need. All right, (laughs) one more. Gideon, say Gideon. Gideon. God calls him to go to battle. Gideon's nervous about a battle that's going to take place. And and he's nervous for good reasons because God had whittled his army down to 300 men. All right. The Midianites who are in the valley and the Amalekites are thousands and tens of thousands who they're going to go up against. God says, take 300 men with you to go to battle. I'd be a little nervous too, right? Now, I love this story because you can't make this up. It says this in Judges chapter 7, verse 9. It says, it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, arise and go down to the camp. Now, he's praying. He's like, God, you got to help me out here. I only got 300 men. There's tens of thousands and thousands down in the valley. And God says it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down to the camp. He's talking about the enemy's camp. For I have delivered you into your hand. I have delivered it into your hand. But, he said, I love this. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as sands of the seashore in the multitude. So get the picture, all right? Gideon and his servant are sneaking down into the enemy's camp just to see what they're saying. They're going down on a little spy mission. Said God said, go on down there. I know you're nervous about the battle. I want you just to hide on down there. I know you only got 300 guys. I know there's thousands and tens of thousands of guys. Then when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream. They go into the camp, all right? And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. And to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned the tent and the tent collapsed. He had, they sneak into the camp. There's two guys talking in the camp. One of them had a pizza dream, okay? He had a pizza dream. He's like, I saw a barley loaf. Like, and it rolled into our camp and knocked a tent over. How many know that's a pizza dream, right? God causes them to have a pizza dream. Now there's a guy standing with him and God gives him the interpretation. And the companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, and the men of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. This is the enemy talking between themselves, right? And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he what? He worshiped. He ran smack into what the Spirit of God was doing, right? Can you see them walking down? They're sneaking into the camp looking like Midianites. They probably dress like Midianites. They're in there listening. And this guy's telling his pizza dream. And the other guy who's his buddy saying, that's got to be God. Right? That's God. Midian, you know, we're, we're toast. We're done. And he's like, yes. Right? He's mad. And, he, and he's so overwhelmed by the Spirit of God, he begins to worship God. Can you see him running back to his camp? He's waking him up. You bunch of barley loaves, let's go. Right, where's, where does war cry ever? Come on. 
They ran into the Spirit of God and they worshiped. If you run into the truth of God, if you know the truth of God and the truth about God, you'll worship. If your spirit runs into the Spirit of God and what God's doing, you'll worship. You'll recognize what's going on. Amen? Amen. Come on. I'm asking you to stand. I'm asking you to just come forward. We're just going to worship together. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. You're just going to sing. If you're comfortable coming up front, uh, um, just make your way up. If not, you come halfway. And then, then you won't feel strange, okay? And if you're new, uh, sometimes we do this. We're just going to sing. The worship together. And all I want you to do is worship Him in spirit and truth. I want you to think about the truth of God. What He's done in your life. What He can do in your life. I want you just to just and then run right smack into the Spirit of God. How many of you have ever ran into the Spirit of God? I have. I just get in the middle of life and I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. And all of a sudden I just kind of run into Him. I'm like, man, God's doing something, right? So just sing. I want you just to worship. Sing that song. Battle belongs. So when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs. Oh, so when I fight, when I fight, I fight on. give you, if I can, let me give you one more thing. Because sometimes it's going to be, it's, right, it's going to be the truth of God that's going to lead you into worship. And, and you need to know it because we all want to run into 
we all want our spirit to run into God, right? We all want our spirit to run into the spirit of God and just smack into that because we just spontaneously worship. But a lot of times that's not happening, right? And, and it's in those moments, just like Gideon, when Gideon was nervous, when, when he only had 300 men and he's looking across the valley where there's tens of thousands, it looks completely insurmountable what's in front of him. There's no way. In, in normal, everyday terms, it's completely impossible for them to win this battle. Completely impossible. That, that's in the moment where you gotta, you got to depend on the truth to worship God. you got to remind yourself who he is, what he can do, what he's up to. And you might not even understand what he's up to, but you got to depend on him. you got to worship out of the truth of who God is. Then you might, right, it was after that call got confirmed that Gideon, right, knew the truth about God. He snuck down into the camp. He listened to what God said. Then he ran into the Spirit of God at work down in the camp. See, he, it, if you know anything about the Old Testament, a lot of times when the enemy was huge like that, God would confuse them. They would literally go into battle killing each other. God would just win the war for them. Sometimes it's going to be the truth about God that's going to, you, that you got to lean on to worship. Other times you're going to run right smack into the Spirit of God. No, it's both, all right? I had to throw that in. God was just stirring that in my spirit. Sing one more time, and then my wife Dixie is going to come pray a prayer of blessing over you. Oh, yes, I will lift you high you are so good his presence is so full here today and I don't know maybe if you're here for the first time and and you don't know Jesus as your Savior you don't know the the man who died on the cross so that we could be free and our sin would be forgiven we would be amiss if we would let you leave today and not give you the opportunity to know Jesus as your personal Savior not as some God that you can't connect with but as your personal Savior and all you have to do all you have to do is say I believe that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that you are my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin that you died on the cross for and believe on him. And he will be your Savior. He will be Jesus. He will be your God to you. So we're going to bow our heads and you can say that prayer this morning. And God, we just, we bow our heads and we say, Lord, if there is one here that needs to know you, who doesn't know you as their personal Savior, God, I pray right now that they invite you in. They step aside and they invite you in to be, for you to be their God, to be their Savior. God, we praise you. We give you thanks. We give you glory in your precious name, in your precious name. Father, we give you thanks. And if you did that for the first time today, if you just raise your hand up and put it right back down, we can just give God praise for what he's done in this place today because he is good and he is worthy to be praised. Thank you for tuning in to this message from Lifehouse Church. 
We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with us as we love God, love people every day, visit our website at www.lifehousecog.com.